Welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Tuesday, May 21st, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, how the field will winnow, according to Charlie Cook, Buttigieg releases policy proposals, sort of, and the hidden value of Inslee's climate plans. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. At the Cook Political Report, Charlie Cook himself wrote a piece explaining how he felt this large Democratic primary field would thin out over the coming months. He starts with a basketball analogy using March Madness, but acknowledges that that metaphor fails because the primary is not a series of head-to-head matches in a bracket. And then he switches to a much more appropriate metaphor, the TV show Survivor. I am a big fan. Note that there are no Survivor spoilers here. I would not do that to you. So in case you're not familiar with the show, Survivor starts with roughly 20 people on an island, and every few days, someone is voted out by the group. By the end of the season, you have a small group remaining, typically three people these days, and one of those three actually wins the money based on an election. There is a final vote by the people who used to be in the game. In the game of Survivor, getting to the final four is a super big deal because it means you're only one step away from being in the election. And all of that sounds kind of like the Democratic primary right now, to be honest. Okay, reading from Cook's piece, quote, Rather than try to figure out who will win the nomination or make the final four, let's focus on the first half dozen or dozen who aren't likely to make it to Labor Day four months from now. These candidates, like Survivor contestants, have certain opportunities, but also challenges. The opportunities are potential breakthrough events such as cable TV town halls and debates. The events sanctioned by the Democratic National Committee are scheduled for June 26th and 27th, half of the contenders each night, and July 30th and 31st. Candidates will try their dead-level best to stay alive and viable, hoping for a breakthrough performance or for some of the better-known and established contenders to stumble or underperform. But, unless the candidates are drawing ratings and buzz from their cable hits, and unless they are at least registering in polls, they are not likely to get invited back. Their candidacies will then become irrelevant and eventually go into the death spiral that often precedes dropping out of a race. End quote. He then gets into a discussion of fundraising, which comes up every three months due to how the FEC works. At the beginning of April, when this show was just getting rolling, we started getting the first fundraising numbers from the candidates. Those numbers drove the early news cycle because they gave us a sense of who the voters felt was worthy of their early money. That's going to come up again in mid-July, and so it should reflect some of what happens after the first set of debates. And finally, Cook gives us another leading indicator of where interest in a candidate may lie. This is something that polling tries to capture, but given the large margins of error and the fact that Biden is taking so much of the overall field, we often have something like a dozen candidates who are below the margin of error. We just don't know how they're doing, and they haven't had a breakout moment yet. So Cook points out that analyzing Google searches is one way to get another look. Reading from his piece, and note that I'm rounding the numbers that he wrote just to make them easier to hear. Quote, The Cook Political Report's Ali Flynn has compiled weekly search counts from the Google Trends analytics team, measuring who is being Googled and who isn't. It is important to note that searching a candidate's name on Google is not an expression of support, but it does tell us who is drawing interest and whether that interest is positive or follows a misstep. 
The numbers released by Google are not the actual number of searches. They are sampling all searches rather than counting one by one, and the data is reported with the top searched candidate assigned a 100 rating and the rest scaled down from there. For the week of April 28th, for example, Biden was the most searched, thus given a 100, followed by Sanders at 32, Buttigieg at 31, Harris at 24, O'Rourke at 14, and Warren at 13. The rest of the field was in single digits. Biden, Buttigieg, Harris, and Sanders have each had three weeks on top this year. O'Rourke had two weeks, Gillibrand, Klobuchar, and Warren one week. End quote. So while Cook does not offer us a list of who he thinks will be voted off the island next, he is prepping us with tools to watch for that on our own. Read the full article for more. There is a link to that in the show notes, as always. And there is also a link to the actual Google search results on the Cook Political Report, which is fascinating. Late last week, Mayor Pete Buttigieg released a large set of what he labeled policies. One of the major criticisms of him as a candidate has been his lack of detail in terms of policy. So now there's an issue section on his website. I reviewed the issue section in detail, and I'm here to tell you what's there and what's not. Buttigieg divides his policy vision into three broad categories, labeled freedom, security, and democracy. Under the freedom section are subheadings including healthcare, higher education, infrastructure, investing in our teachers, and organized labor, among others. In Buttigieg's view, quote, our vision of freedom must address all dimensions of life, including political, economic, and social freedom, end quote. In that first section, healthcare, Buttigieg proposes what he calls Medicare for all who want it as a path toward a single-payer healthcare system sometime down the road. Today, it would simply mean adding a public option to the existing Obamacare exchanges, and that's actually pretty much it. There's a bulleted list of additional policies in this section, including items labeled simply lower drug prices, and make long-term care affordable, and invest resources in mental health. But that is literally all the detail we get. There is no mention whatsoever of how, for instance, Buttigieg plans to lower drug prices or what that might cost. This pattern continues through the entire document with a few exceptions, mainly where existing legislation or other plans already exist to solve the problem. For instance, under the democracy heading, the subheading for electoral college reads as follows, quote, key policy a national popular vote to replace the Electoral College. It's simple. The candidate who gets the most votes should win. States don't vote, people vote. And everyone's vote should count exactly the same. The Electoral College has to go. The best route to removing the Electoral College would be a constitutional amendment. Recognizing that this cannot be done overnight, Pete supports the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact to ensure the president is chosen by the American people while we seek constitutional reform, end quote. So let's parse that for just a moment. In the context of a presidential primary such as this one, a policy proposal typically has three components, a problem statement, a proposed solution, and then some analysis of how to achieve that solution. And by the way, if the solution involves spending money, there is typically some kind of accounting done of what the cost would be and how to pay it, or not, depends on the candidate. So Buttigieg's plan here is first to try to get a constitutional amendment done, 
Now, we know that is literally impossible given the current and projected makeup of the Congress. And he acknowledges that, and that's great. That is policy. So he offers a plan B. That plan B is to support that interstate compact, which incidentally I covered in great detail on this show way back on April 10th. That is essentially a workaround for the Electoral College that would be implemented by a large voting bloc of states. But that is entirely managed by individual states. The president has nothing to do with it. There's not much Buttigieg can do to support it as a candidate or as president unless he somehow controls the legislature of a major state or can somehow convince a large number of states to join this thing. And maybe that's possible, but it's not a plan for action. It's just a thing he supports. Another example of this approach is in the voting rights section, where Buttigieg includes the five-word statement, quote, make election day a holiday, end quote. And as president, he probably could get that done. But again, what's the plan? Would you swap it for some other holiday, thus in theory making it cost neutral? And if so, which other federal holiday are you going to get rid of? Or if you're adding a new holiday, how much would that cost and what effect would it have on the overall economy? So let me be clear. I think Election Day as a national holiday is a pretty good idea. But what I expect to see from a candidate is some specific idea of how it would get done. For example, does Buttigieg support the most recently proposed legislation on this topic? It's called H.R. 1, For the People Act of 2019, and it was introduced on January 1st of this year. It would be very easy to say, yep, that's my position. I support that bill. But instead, we simply don't know. What we do know is, as a general position, Buttigieg supports the idea of a holiday on Election Day. Okay. So what we have here is, for the most part, not policy. Instead, we have a series of positions on issues, which I guess might be expected given that the overall heading of this page is the word issues. But still, within every single subsection of this page, there is both a key policy and then a series of additional policies. And it is disappointing that there is so little substance here in terms of actual policy, meaning not just what you think about the issue, but how you would get it done. All right, two more points on this. First, I did a quick skim on some of the issues above. For instance, making Election Day a holiday, and I could not easily find a candidate laying out a truly detailed policy proposal around it. Andrew Yang does have a page on the issue with many actual sentences written about it, but he doesn't get into cost or specific implementation. Even Cory Booker, who's proposed a new Voting Rights Act, doesn't seem to have many specifics on the Election Day holiday thing, or at least I couldn't find them by my deadline today. So my point is, Buttigieg is not alone in leaving out some details. Second, this field can broadly be divided into two things right now, the policy wonks and everybody else meaning only a few candidates have actually gone to the trouble of working up full, detailed policy proposals. And the master of that is Senator Elizabeth Warren. But in a typical primary election, which this is not, this would still be pretty early to release those kinds of documents. From what I've heard from Buttigieg in interviews, that's part of his point. It's part of his process. He and many candidates intend to get there. They just aren't there today. But let me remind you, there are multiple candidates who are there today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. 
Bite Clear liners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, we're coming from one story about policy right into another. So here's the thing. Only one of these primary candidates ultimately ends up being president, if they're lucky, and very likely another one of them gets the VP spot. However, with this primary field being so crowded, we actually have access to a bunch of detailed policy proposals from certain candidates. Whoever ends up running on the Democratic ticket could, and probably should, choose among those policies and just use them as part of their actual presidential platform. In an article for Vox, David Roberts argues that Governor Jay Inslee of Washington is writing the best climate policy. And further, he says that whoever the next president is should simply take Inslee's proposals and implement them. Inslee is a single-issue candidate focused solely on climate change, and his poll numbers are around 1% or lower in most polls I've seen, but his policy papers, they are something to behold. Inslee just released his second gigantic climate proposal, the first one I covered on the show on May 3rd, if you want to go back and listen to that. The new proposal is titled, An Evergreen Economy for America, Investing in Good Jobs, Clean Energy, and Modern Infrastructure. It is a 35-page handbook for job creation and the economics of green infrastructure. Even if you're not particularly interested in climate change as an issue, as a purely economic thing, there's a lot in this document that makes sense, and Inslee even includes copious footnotes showing his work. Here's a snippet from Inslee's campaign announcement way back on March 1st that kind of presages what came in this proposal today. Climate change is a matter of great peril, but it is also one of great promise. Yes, we can pioneer the industries of the future. We can create millions of good-paying jobs and build the clean energy economy of the future. I know, I know, I know this is possible. I co-authored a book 12 years ago. It was called Apollo's Fire, Igniting America's Clean Energy Economy. And in that book, we laid out a vision of economic growth around clean energy. It was based on the central premise that we can all have a role to play in this revolution. We can all be heroes in this adventure. And we are already getting started. Think about this. Jobs in the clean energy economy are growing twice as fast as the rest of the economy. The fastest growing job in the nation is a solar installer. Number two. Number two, wind turbine technician. So, so climate change is not more important than the economy. It is the economy. This is, look, 
look, this is pretty simple. Climate change is already damaging our economy, and fighting climate change will build a new economy. The most expensive path is the path of inaction, and that is unacceptable to us in America. In Washington State... Okay. In the Vox piece, Roberts argues that while there are several policies floating around in the field around the environment and climate change, Inslee is radically outpacing all of them. And he's not done. This is part two of what promises to be something like a five or six part plan. Okay, reading from Vox here, quote, It's not a crowded battlefield, and Inslee seems to have brought a nuke to a knife fight. But I think there's more going on here than campaigning, and more significance to the plan than how it might play in Iowa. To put it bluntly, Inslee's campaign is writing a Green New Deal, end quote. Okay, so I need to jump in here and interrupt Roberts. If you haven't read the Green New Deal, I do encourage you to do so. It's relatively short, it is printed in a gigantic font, and it only takes a few minutes. And that's exactly why so many people are so miffed about it. It is heavy on ideas and light on implementation. There's a link to that in the show notes. It's a PDF. Okay, back to Vox, where Roberts abbreviates Green New Deal as GND. Quote, The problem with the discussion around the GND so far is that the only substance at the center of it is a non-binding resolution, a set of aspirations and goals. People have projected all sorts of things on it, good and bad, but no one really knows what the GND is. At least in nuts and bolts policy terms, there isn't one yet. So it's easy to dismiss the whole thing as a green dream, as Nancy Pelosi put it. Inslee's campaign is systematically translating the GND's lofty goals to decarbonize the economy sector by sector in a way that creates high-quality jobs and protects frontline communities into policy proposals focused on an immediate 10-year mobilization. This isn't just a campaign play, it's a document the next Democratic president is going to want in hand when the time comes to get to work, end quote. Now, the policy itself is frankly hard to summarize. It is huge. When Roberts summarized it for Vox, he wrote more than 1,000 words, which is truly incredible. I guess the best way to summarize this thing is to say it's a very detailed look at a series of policy proposals around building upgrades, infrastructure investments, transportation changes, clean water, public land use, manufacturing jobs, research, education, tons of material on job creation, a focus on unions, and retirement benefits, plus a bunch of other stuff. One thing that does stick out in the Inslee plan is a lack of detailed information on how to pay for certain aspects of it. We think this is coming in a future installment, and many people suspect it has to do with a carbon tax. Having said that, some of what he proposes is cost-neutral, or is designed to create a public-private partnership that, at least in theory, would bring in funding from the private sector. Given his experience at the state level, that might actually work. All right, let me read you one more segment from Vox. Quote, Inslee's climate mission agenda does not tick all the Green New Deal boxes. It doesn't target economy-wide decarbonization by 2030. No campaign will or could. It doesn't have a federal job guarantee or universal health care. It's not the whole socialist enchilada. But it is getting at the most important stuff. It has aggressive decarbonization targets, sector-by-sector policies, and a massive array of public investments designed to achieve them, and a focus on high-quality jobs and vulnerable communities. 
It is a vision of climate policy as progressive and expansive as we are likely to see in our current political circumstances. And best of all, it is not a green dream. It identifies the programs and mechanisms required to achieve its goals. Many of them already exist in some form in federal programs and agencies. Many others have been tried and tested at the state level. End quote. So that's it. That's the point. Whatever you feel about the Green New Deal, you're probably going to be interested in looking at what Inslee has written here, or at least the Vox summary, because boy, the plan is super long. Trust me. While Inslee has a small chance of winning the overall nomination, the work he's doing on climate policy has tremendous value for any candidate. Let's hope it's not for nothing and that other candidates grab these policies and use them. Well, that's it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter at Chris Higgins. I want to highlight some candidate reactions to the end of Game of Thrones. So if you are not caught up, you might want to skip this last 30 seconds or so. Just move on to the next podcast. Okay, so in her column on politics yesterday, Lisa Lehrer of the New York Times revealed the 2020 Democrats were united on at least one issue. Who should not sit on the Iron Throne? Quote, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who had written an op-ed cheering the Mother of Dragons, had a change of heart before Sunday night's finale. I'm so blue about Daenerys, she told reporters. I'm trying to figure out who is going to be on the Iron Throne, but it sure as heck can't be Daenerys. In a Fox News town hall on Sunday, Mayor Pete Buttigieg said Daenerys had made some highly questionable leadership decisions. But perhaps no one took it harder than Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I'm so pissed off, she said about the character's turn. She's somebody who made sure the lowest income, the least empowered, could have a voice, she said, adding, why did the writers have to turn her into a mad queen? End quote. I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.